From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, Garage Makeovers, and Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. All their information in the show notes. This is going to be a short show. I'm combining some post-NCSU discussions with some discussions of the recent ESPN article by Andrea Adelson and uh, David Hale, which I think was excellent, but we'll get to that in a moment. And then also uh, the Clemson preview. I, I don't really see a whole lot of reason to do an, uh, an individual Clemson preview because I think most of us have a pretty good sense of what's going to happen in this game. <laughs> and yeah, there's not a whole lot of positives that are likely to come out of that one, but we'll talk about it in the last segment. This first segment, of course, brought to you by EPR Creations and also from the Unconquered Podcast Shop. So first thing to talk about here is the a few a few additional things after the NC State game. The most notable is that that was the last we'll see of Chubba Purdy this year, which 2020 claims another one. I mean, you, you talk about how this season, this year have, have really gone. And just, just when you thought things might be turning a corner, well, 2020 just drags you right back in. And unfortunate that basically continue to have some inflammation and some uh, difficulties with that left shoulder. And ultimately the decision was made to go in and remove the hardware uh, now rather than after the season. So the good thing is that he will be fully recovered and ready to roll before uh, before spring practice, presuming there is a spring practice, but I do presume that at this point. And then uh, that that should put him in a position to at least be able to compete and, and be more ready to run this offense in the fall. So that's the plus. The negative is that you'd hope to get him some more reps this year <laughs> and get him, you know, some opportunities, especially in the last two games uh, to to really to really do some things and and get comfortable and get used to the speed of the game at this level. But that's just not going to happen now. The, I guess the, the, the biggest positive is that, you know, no chance of him getting hurt against Clemson. So that's, that's a plus. Yeah. As far as some other things, um, we'll uh, it's, I think it's worth talking about the Adelson and Hale article over on ESPN for a little bit in, in this, in this show. Uh, I, I think, first of all, it was an excellent article in my view. Uh, they did a good job of representing the overall cluster that Florida State has been. It has just been a unmitigated disaster on multiple levels in terms of people pulling in all sorts of different directions. And one of the things that did come through, I think, in that article is that no one is really willing to take responsibility or to assign responsibility to one person because everybody's looking at, you know, you've got the Jimbo people who were there with Jimbo who are saying, well, you know, it's this guy's fault and this guy's fault. And then those guys are pointing at Jimbo and then at somebody else. And it, it's basically a big standoff with everybody else pointing with all the fingers are pointing. And all this demonstrates is the degree to which there was a total breakdown of leadership on the athletic side at Florida state the last few years, just a complete and total breakdown of leadership. And, you know, this, and, and the sad part is that you had people that were really all invested in Florida State being 
really good and being and, and invested in Florida State success. But the ways that their priorities on the ways to those things were were very different. And and so this is where, you know, if you look at at how this works, you had a few people that you can really point the finger at the most and say, yeah, you know, they're probably more responsible than many others and 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 for a, a variety of different ways. Now, we've talked about a lot of this stuff in the past on this podcast, but we're going to go ahead and get back into some of this because they did bring up some things in this in this pot in this article that are worth discussing uh, once more and hopefully hopefully for one of the last times here. And again, the first thing to to really highlight here is the way that this article really emphasizes how there were just various people pulling in different directions and that that led to a lot of animosity among uh, among the the leadership, among the the sort of executive people in each of their respective spots. So John Thrasher as the president, uh, Stan Wilcox as the AD, Andy Miller as the booster president, Jimbo Fisher, and then, and then Willie Taggart as head coaches. Those are all sort of your executive level people. And in each case, they were pulling in different directions. And so, you know, what, what you had is you had different, you had different people with different goals and a, a few things really, really stand out there. Uh, one is the structure, the way that seminal boosters were arranged. It, it's pretty obvious, and, and we've talked about this on this on this podcast before, plenty. That the way that that was all set up, where Andy Miller basically had more power than the athletic director, and in some cases actually had more power in terms of certain decisions than the president, and definitely had more more power than the head coach in all of these things. That, is, that was a really unusual situation. And when you take someone like Jimbo, for whom prestige, respect matter a lot, yeah, that's not going to go very well. And, and when Jimbo's looking around and saying, we need this, and he's used to being around Saban and other, other head coaches of his tier that he's looking at and going, and yes, I know it, some of you guys are going, he's not on the same tier as Saban. Okay, look, national championship coaches. We'll just go with that. Coaches who won a national title. The coaches who won national titles are going around and they ask for something and they get it. And Jimbo is in, in Tallahassee and he basically is asking for stuff. And the only way that he was getting what he wanted, he felt, and somewhat justifiably, in some cases not as justifiably as as true Jimbo partisans would, would suggest, but he felt that the only way he was getting stuff was basically to threaten to leave. So he would flirt in the offseason with, you know, some lots of teams would come and think that they could buy him from Florida State because they had deeper pockets. And you'd look at 2013, Texas and LSU were looking at him. 2014, I think it was 2014 that LSU was again interested. And then 2016, once more, LSU is interested. So you're looking at a lot of these a lot of these situations and Auburn was in there at one point where, you know, there were some, some potential, potential discussions. So you're looking at all these things where there's a possibility that he can put on the table of, look, if I'm not happy, I can go. And each off season, and this is something that, again, I've been told within, from within the program for years that basically Jimbo would do this because he felt like that was the only way to get stuff done. So, he held their feet to the fire to get 
uh, and threatened to leave to get the athletic dorms. And then he threatened to leave to get, uh, you know, upgrade upgrades in the, in the, uh, in the, the coaches offices and upgrades in the, in the locker room. And ultimately he just, he kept pulling and he felt like once they'd actually won it all in 2013, he thought, okay, that means, you know, finally I've got proof of concept. We're going to get this going. Unfortunately, there was a whole contingent. Unfortunately for him, there was a whole contingent of old guard, Florida state boosters and actually some old coaches who, when Jimbo came after, 2013 and said, okay, well, we need to do this. We need to, we need to upgrade here. We can't stand still. We got to move forward. Those people were like, we didn't have any of that stuff with Bowden and we won, we won a national title and you just won a national title with all, without all that stuff. So stop it with that. You're you, all you ever want is just facilities. All you want is more, more resources. And yes, Jimbo's a resource hog, no doubt. But he kept telling people, Look, look at what Clemson's doing. They're coming for us. They're coming for us. And people pointed at 2013 and 2014 and they'd say, yeah, and we still beat them. Good luck. They need that stuff to compete with us. And he kept saying, look, if we don't keep up, if we don't do this stuff, they're going to pass us. So, and and just as, a, as an aside, I remember talking with one of Willie Taggart's assistants this was spring of the, their second year there. So I, I remember talking with him and he had actually recently talked to Jimbo. Uh, you know, they, these coaches all talk together. Um, but he, I remember talking with him and he, he just candidly said, you know, Jimbo was right about this place. So we were surprised when we got here that, that just how, how things were done. Now, that's kind of rich coming from Taggart's staff for a lot of reasons. And one of the things that the, that the article finally put out there that I don't, I don't remember if we talked about it specifically in those terms on the, on this podcast, but, uh, or, you know, if others have reported it exactly, but basically someone went on record and said, look, there were times where assistant coaches would go out to the practice fields and not know what the plan for the day was. And that's true. You talk about like, we've, I know we've talked about this on this podcast in the past in terms of like equipment people who, you know, you've got to have the right gear in the right place when a new period starts, you know, you got to make sure that this is what you have the equipment people and the, and, and all of that for the equipment managers and all that for is so that when you say move from period five to period six, and you're moving into a, a different kind of drill that the sleds or practice dummies or whatever is necessary, whatever apparatus cones, whatever is necessary to be set up for that next period is already set up so that you can go in without losing a minute or two to set up the drill or more to set up the drill or whatever you're supposed to be doing. You want that to be set up. It's got to be set up in advance so that you don't waste any time at practice. You just go from one thing to the next and it's seamless. That's how it's supposed to be. It was never like that with, with Willie Tiger because people just didn't know what was happening. We didn't, they didn't know where, where they're supposed to be. You talk about like the camera guys, they're supposed to be shooting practice. It's like, okay, so where are we going to start? We, you know, we need to be set up either inside or outside. You know, we need, where are we going to be in the, in the practice facility for the beginning for this part or outside. Oh, you don't practice, you know, go into the, into the indoor, uh, you know, for the beginning. And then you get set up in the indoor. And then all of a sudden you're told five minutes before practice starts. Oh no, no, we're starting outside now. What? That stuff. (laughs) That's the stuff that would happen. And you can't run a program that way. You can't run a big program that way, especially. So there was just no organization. So it is a bit rich to hear that, but one of Taggart's assistants, I mean, he flat out told me, like I said, Jimbo was right about this place. 
And he was trying to tell people here that Clemson was coming for years and they wouldn't listen. And now Clemson's caught us and we've got a lot, we got a lot of, of ground to make up. And there's some things, you know, there's some things that need to happen here in order to make up that ground. And folks really just are digging their feet in the ground and don't want to, don't want to do it. You know, they're not willing to accept that, that this stuff's even needed. And yeah, that's, and, and, you know, this is, this is another thing. I mean, I, I was not public about this at the time. I couldn't be public about this at the time, but I mean, I helped the, the Taggart staff set up their recruiting board when they first got in actually a little bit before they formally took the job. So, and, and so, and I, and that's partly, I had a, I, I had uh, a good sense of what the, the Fisher board looked like. Uh, I actually uh, ultimately had a copy of that. And, um, and so, you know, I, one of the things that I was, I was helping to do is to take a look at what, what recruits were on the board that were viable, that they, that they could actually go after and, you know, looking at some film and all of that stuff, because they just didn't have the the resources initially to really be able to do that on, you know, on that timing. So, you know, they, they enlisted the help of some volunteers from outside that they already had, that some of those people already knew. So there you go. And one of the things that I know for a fact is that a couple of the guys that I put on the board that I had on the board initially, um, I was talking with one of the, one of the people who was a, a QC at the time under both Jimbo and, and then initially under Taggart. Uh, he said, well, we, we had to take those guys off the board. Like we, we couldn't have that guy on the board. Like we, that, that, you know, they, they came in and they, and, and I didn't know this at the time, but you know, they came in basically with some of the stuff that I'd helped put together. And immediately the people who'd been there before were like, no, we can't go after that guy. That guy's off the board. Take him off. Like, why? We can't afford him. What? <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Southeast right now. And you know, that, that really hasn't changed. I mean, that, that that's the, that's the, that's the game right now. So that's another factor that nobody really wants to talk about. Nobody's going to go on the record about, but you know, Florida state was recruiting from behind in that. And, and you talk about, there were a number of guys that, that Fisher and, and that staff had basically stopped contacting. And some of those guys, there, there was a reason for that. Turns out. <laughs> so, yeah, well, so those, those are, those are a couple things that, that come into play, but then you get into other, uh, other aspects of this and some of it's just miscommunication. And, you know, you look at one of the things that Fisher had a problem with Fisher did not understand, didn't want to understand how endowments work. So when you have money that's given to say the endowment that's controlled by the boosters and that money is designated for specific endowment things, it's a strings attached type gift. That money can't just, you can't take money out of the endowment to pay for facilities, for example. That, that's not permitted, right? The endowment is set up so that it, it pays a particular percentage based on investments over the, over the course of years. And there's no way around that. You can't just pull money out of your endowment to say like, well, we need a football only facility. Let's take $75 million out of our endowment and let's build it. We got the money. Well, we don't have the money. We can't just take that money out of the, out of the endowment. That's not allowed. Well, let's borrow it from the endowment. Again, sir, we really can't do that. But you're doing this whole thing with College Town. Well, see, that's a permissible act. That's permissible by the terms of the endowment because that's an investment. 
And so that's that. And actually, you know, it turns out, I, I mean, I, I, there, there, there are a number of things to criticize in terms of how Andy Miller did a lot of things, but ultimately in my view, the college town thing, long-term probably going to be a nice feather in his cap because of the, in particular, because of the rental, not just the, this is not just the mixed use, you know, the, the stores and the, and the restaurants, but it's the, the apartments and the hotel space. That stuff is going to pay off pretty, pretty decently. And when you look at the returns and even to date, I mean, it's not been quite what they'd hoped, but it's been a positive return, even in tough times. When you look at the returns on that, that actually gives you a higher rate of return on the endowment investment, which means that you can roll some more money back into the endowment in certain cases, and you can endow more scholarships and that frees up more money down the line for other things. So in the long haul, that probably, that's probably going to be a good thing. But the difficulty is that somebody like Andy Miller is more invested in the long haul stuff there than he is in the immediate. And then he has to communicate that with a coach who knows that he's not going to be there when, you know, in 20 years when College Town is actually really paying off and Florida State is starting to make up some of the ground on the huge endowments that other, other schools have. I mean, Florida State doesn't even have, I think, half of its scholarships endowed. So it's actually paying, you know, out of regular budget for scholarships. Once all those scholarships are endowed, like at a place like Alabama, then all of that other money is freed up. Well, in 20 years, that, 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 that's going to be great, but Jimbo's not going to be coaching then. And he knows it. So he wants that. He wants this stuff now. What matters for him is the, is the money now. And Miller had a hard time juggling those two things. And particularly because Stan, because Stan Wilcox was really interested in all sport excellence. He wanted to make sure that he was supporting all sports. You know, well... You know, football, that's good, but we built something for you already. We got to build for basketball and soccer now. The problem there, and this is where I think if you're going to point the finger at anybody the most, it's Stan Wilcox, honestly. But to me, the, the, the miscalculation there is that if you want basketball and you want soccer to be successful at a place like Florida State, then you need to first make sure that football's in, in the healthiest position possible. Because if football's not going well, those other sports don't get money. Those sports, the, the, the facilities upgrades that those sports depend on, yeah, they need to be like third in line behind football and football because football ultimately pays the bills for those programs and they know it. So you can do some stuff, but you, like, you can't say like, well, we, we're going to do the football facility, but we've got this other, these other couple projects for the athletic department that, that get priority. <laughs> no, no. If football needs this because Clemson is doing that up there and because they're doing this over here and they're doing this over here then that needs to be put on the front burner and the other stuff gets pushed back. And I know that's frustrating for every other sport, but they also know where they are in the pecking order. So, you know, and then of course the whole idea of if you're going to hire someone, if you're going to limit your, your pool of potential hires on the basis of um, specific demographics like skin color, uh, that already is a, is a serious problem. And, and it, it was fairly well known that, that, that was something that Wilcox wanted, and they actually had people go on record about here. Here's who Wilcox was looking at, and it's amazing that you know somebody like Mason or Charlie Strong that they were actually you know seriously considered, right? I mean, really, it's Florida State. 
Yet, those guys don't go top of the list after their after what they've done at prior programs. I mean, they're good coaches, but seriously. And then you know the rush to hire very quickly and to and to to avoid looking into the background and doing interviews with other people who'd coached or or worked with uh, with Taggart that 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 hurts. That all of that stuff was essentially unprofessional and uh you know you pay for the lack of due diligence there and that that goes on Stan Wilcox that goes on John Thrasher that goes on the whole administration for for all of those things and then you know you look at i think a lot of people were probably surprised to learn and and i'd said this going that far back that Jimbo didn't really want to leave even in, even in the 2017 season he was hoping to stay. He was still hoping that this was basically one of those like, look, I'm going to do this one more time and I'm going to get what we need and we're going to get this cleaned up. I'm going to get the the assistant coaching packages that I need. I'm going to I'm going to be able to hire the guys that I need. I'm going to finally have the the blank check to do that because they they they're going to realize that I I will go. And then, you know, you're going to you're going to say, "Well, you know, that's going to cost us an extra, you know, million dollars there for those th- those Coaches, I'm not comfortable with that cost. It costs you thirty million dollars to do that. Then it's a lack of foresight there, all the way up the all the way up the chain. But then, of course, again, Jimbo is by no means guiltless here. I mean, I think the article did a good job of talking about how going back to 2014, the lack of institutional control within from the coaching staff of the of that of those teams, the lack of leadership from Jimbo down in the ability to get those players to, to be held accountable. And it was because Jimbo was all bark. We talked about this. He'd bark at guys and they'd yell and they'd do all this stuff. But when you keep playing and you keep getting put out there, when there's no real consequences and you just hear barking, eventually you tune that stuff out. And that happened to Jimbo. And when you, you know, undermine the authority of some of your assistants who, you know, this guy needs to sit, this guy needs to be suspended. Now we need to play him. You can't do that stuff. So there's so many different layers to this in terms of what went wrong, why Florida State has wound up where they are. And the good thing, in my view, is a couple things that came out of this out of this article. The first is, I think it's evident from what they talked about and also from some of the stuff that I've heard, it's evident that they, uh, oh, and one other thing that I didn't mention and I've talked about it on this podcast enough times that, you know, there's no, no real need to belabor it, but the importance of Monk Bonasort getting getting, getting sick and the timing of that, not just when he died, he died in, in 2016. And yes, things really tanked after that, but he got sick and stepped back before that. When Monk got sick, the enforcer, and, and actually you might consider him the wartime conciliary. When the wartime conciliary was, 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 Basically, he had to step away and step down, essentially, and, and be much less in, less involved. He was the glue that kept all of the decision makers who were pulling in opposite directions. They wound up pulling on Monk, and he was the guy that kept everybody together and kept everything sort of working somewhat in the same direction because he set the vision, actually. He was the rock. And when he got sick, and then ultimately when he died of, of brain cancer, that was the beginning of the end. When he got sick, it was the beginning of the end. When he when he actually died, that 
that that spelled doom for Florida State because they didn't have anybody else that could fill that role because he was the go-between for Jimbo and Andy Miller, Jimbo and Wilcox and Thrasher and all of this. And he was the guy that was willing to get into a shouting match with Jimbo, get cursed up and down one side and the other, and to leave having at least gotten Jimbo to bend or to move or to do something. And then to go and, and work with somebody else and be able to politic and get people to see each other's perspectives. That was the guy that could do it. Because he was actually invested, not in his own vision, but in what was good for Florida State. And he was going to hear various parties, make them know that they were heard, and then ensure that various parties understood each other's perspectives and what was actually going on. And every place has to have that guy. And, you know, I don't know that Florida State still does. Uh, That's the thing. But getting back to it, the, the, the positives here are that, first of all, I think Florida State has a really good head coach. Mike Norvell is organizationally and uh, personally, in many respects, he's able to handle a lot of the kinds of political stuff that's going to ha- you're going to have to deal with at Florida State. And in terms of his level of organization, he's going to be able to he's going to be able to get things right. And you know, accountability should be should not be a problem under under Mike Norvell in terms of his players and all of that. So I, I think that's that's good. The other thing is that with the restructuring of the Seminole Boosters organization and the alignment of that with the athletic department so that the boosters are no longer more powerful, essentially, than the athletic department. They're now going to be in position to where top-level ADs are actually going to be interested in, in the job. When when Wilcox left, nobody wanted the job because why should I go there when I, I, I don't really have any say in things? It's a mess, and ADs all over the country knew it. Now they're going to be able to actually pursue a really good AD and you get a really good AD in and all of a sudden you're, you're in in great shape, especially since Mike Alford, Michael Alford, who is the new booster booster president, he's really, really good at what he does. And he's going to be excellent for the, for the institution and excellent for the booster organization. So you've already got two pieces in place that you, that you need to have. Now, when Thrasher retires, shortly if you know basically they're going to have to replace him with a quality president ideally a quality president who just hires a really good ad and then lets the ad do his job that's ideally what you want get the president who's going to focus on everything else and then let the ad do his job delegate to the ad but you got to have a really good ad to do that right so you know florida state has really missed dave hart (laughs) right i mean that's that's what it all boils down to and Basically, once you have the AD, the booster president, and the head coach pulling in the same direction, things can actually start to get fixed. Now, they're, they're still going to have to get some things squared away in terms of support, in terms of you know, the football-only facility is, is necessary. I think one other takeaway from this article is, look, if, if things are not going well, you have some choices. You can, you can either pay a massive buyout or you can take that money and support the coach that you have. You can take the Dabo route, what Clemson did there. And you can say, you know what? Instead of paying $18 million for a buyout, we're going to give you a little more money for your, or, you know, things are starting to go down a little bit. Instead of putting pressure on you this way or that, we're going to, we're going to support you by giving you a little more money for your, for your uh, assistant pool and for your support staff. Or instead of taking that 18 million or, you know, 
20 million or whatever it is in buyout money that might 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 be due. We're just going to support the guy we have with this facility's upgrade, football only facility or whatever. Ultimately, once you know you have a quality head coach, and I think Florida State does. The key is then to support that head coach with as much in the way of resources around him in terms of facilities and also uh assistance and, and support staff as possible. Once you have that good coach, I mean, top level coaches partly become top level coaches because they have great people around them. And if you give people the, op- the, the ability to attract great people around them, they're going to be, they're going to be that. Now, if you know that your coach is an organizational disaster and can't run an organization is, is unqualified, then you bite the bullet and you, and you take care of that. And they did. But from here forward, you gotta you gotta back Mike Norvell unless he absolutely disqualifies himself with some for some other reason. And then you build toward that with support. Now, as it turns out, and now we're gonna break into the uh, Clemson preview. This is not gonna be pretty, folks. <laughs> Clemson last year, despite the fact that Florida State was not very good, Clemson last year came in and treated that like a rivalry game. They came in with tendency breakers with wrinkles with all sorts of stuff because it was in their interest to put two to double tap Florida State in the first quarter and then triple tap them and then quadruple tap them before they were before Florida State was even you know fully into the game that's what they're going to try to do again Dabo knows that even when Florida State's down they're the biggest threat to Clemson's dominance in the ACC so they're going to make sure to to a few extra rounds into Florida State every chance they can get. I would do it. Dabo does it. So I do not expect to see Clemson come into this game and sleepwalk at all or to, you know, pull call off the dogs. This is a game where they're favored by 35. And honestly, I'm probably taking the, uh, I'm taking Clemson in the points. Yeah. So, I mean, and especially with this being the first game back for the Elf since uh, since they lost without him to, to Notre Dame, Skalski back as well. I and Jordan Travis, a game time decision. There's a lot of things there that are going on that. Yeah, um, this could be really ugly. I'm not sure how Florida State scores in this game. I mean, if, if Jordan Travis plays then Florida State probably scores a few points, pre- presuming he plays and he's healthy enough to really do stuff. If, if he doesn't play, I'm not sure how Florida State scores in this game. And they're not stopping the elf in that offense. So this is going to be, you want, you've, there's been a lot of people wondering, you know, what rock bottom is. Odds are rock bottom will probably be sometime on Saturday where you get to see Clemson just doing whatever they wish against Florida state. That's the most likely thing. If, if, if Florida state is able to prevent that in any way, that, that is a massively good sign that they've hired the right guy for sure for the program, because this is a matchup where I expect Florida state to look pretty helpless. And if they look like they actually have things together enough to challenge Clemson in any way, in any respect, you know what, that, that, that's going to be a good sign. So I'm going to go uh, in this game. I'm going to predict uh, Clemson 62, Florida State 13. And Florida State has roughly a 1% chance of winning this game. If that. Go ahead and wrap there. 
talk back a lot more about the Clemson game in the post-game hot takes, which actually I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to do those hot takes. It's been kind of a weird week for me. My day job has had a pretty significant uh, deadline that I've been working toward all week and maybe still working toward a little bit on Saturday. But uh, I'll get it out and hopefully have a few positive things to say as a result of watching that game. But uh, good luck, folks. Might be the game, might be the weekend where it's time to go and maybe do some yard work or something and then just listen to some podcasts after. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.